Hey, if you have your Bibles, I would love if you would turn to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. We're going to get there in a minute. And as you guys turn there, I want to greet and welcome everyone watching online. Guys, thank you for joining us. I have been praying for you. I believe God has a message for you today as well as everyone in here. So thank you for joining us. Um, If you guys don't know, my name is Micah Barclay. I'm one of the pastors here at Rev City, and I get the privilege of sharing the word of God with you guys. And, And right now, we are in a series called These Walls Must Fall. And I want to encourage you guys, if you have not had a chance to go back and listen to Pastor Thomas and his message last week, it was awesome. He talked about breaking down the walls of comparison and breaking down the walls of condemnation. Please go back and listen to that. But one of our theme verses in this series is found in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. And this is what it says. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. I want to point just to a few things here. Specifically, that word that says strongholds, okay? So that stronghold, the original meaning of that word is actually like a fortified city or or, or like a castle. Like you can imagine it, right? And some walls uh, serve multiple purposes. Ultimately, we think of walls of keeping bad people out, right? If you need to go to a safe place, you're going to go to a walled city. It's going to keep bad people out. So some walls are actually worth building maybe in our culture these days, right? Like we talk about uh, restoring the walls around our families, walls around our marriages, walls around our identity in Christ, things that we're saying. Now, we will not let the culture affect how we believe in those things, amen? But the other thing that walls can do is while it keeps bad people from coming out, it can also keep good people in. Right? And you can get stuck in a place and you never get to fully experience what God has for you. And listen, this is why he says, it says, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. And I think the heart of this message is this, is that we as Christians can build walls in our life that keep us from fully experiencing everything that God has created for you and for me. That's the whole idea behind this series. Uh, And it's funny because this is something we struggle with a lot, right? We build up these walls. And I want to talk about one specific wall today that uh, I think every single one of us has struggled with before, and that is the fear of man, okay? Very quiet in here. That's okay. The fear of man. Who has ever struggled with the fear of man before? Struggled with what people thought of you, uh, all that, okay? Majority of hands, I see some people back there not raising their hands. I'm actually gonna invite you to come give the message, right? Because I know, one, you're not gonna be afraid. And and two, you must have some divine wisdom because uh, I think all of us have struggled with the fear of man before. And uh, I, I think there's, that's, there's lots of reasons for this, but I think specifically in our culture, we have become addicted, addicted with getting the approval of others, right? I, I mean, it's crazy. If you are familiar with the uh, author Joyce Myers, she wrote this book called The Approval Addiction. I, I want to encourage you to check it out. It's just this idea that we care so much about what people think about us, right? Specifically in this day and age with social media, we post something and immediately we think, okay, are people going to like it? Are they going to give me a thumbs up, a smiley face? How many views is it going to get? What are people going to think about my post? Do people like my new relationship? Do they like my shoes? Do they like my shirt? Do they like, do they like, do they like, do they like? And we get so caught up about what people like us that we get bound by the fear of man in our lives, right? And I just want you guys to know on a personal note, 
God has really freed me from this over the years. It really came to head and as a senior in high school. I gave my life to the Lord when I was a sophomore, uh, but when I was a senior in high school, uh, I, I thought something was terribly wrong with me. I remember my stomach was just in knots. My chest was beating out of rhythm. I, I honestly thought a few times I was like having some type of heart attack or whatnot. And I finally went to my parents. I said, something's wrong, Right? Something's wrong with me. So we went to the doctor and they hooked me up and did all these things. And, you know, the doctor came and said, Micah, I need, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, just shoot straight. How much time do I have left, right? Like, let me know. Just let me know. I'm 18 years old. And, and he goes, no, no, you're, you're perfectly fine. Your heart's strong. You're healthy. Uh, I, you know, I think what you're dealing with is stress and anxiety. And I'm like, okay. And so thank God he was a Christian doctor. He sat me down and said, tell me like, what's your life like? And I started talking to him and I just realized I suffered from the fear of man. You know, I didn't really care very much. I wasn't big into uh, fashion in those days and like uh, what kind of shoes or shirt I was wearing. If you don't like my shirt, tell my wife she picked it out for me today. Um, because even today I'm just like, hey, what looks good? Or I, I brought home a shirt the other day and I was like, do you like this? She goes, nope. I'm like, okay, it's going back because obviously I, I can't choose a good one. So I didn't struggle with that. But what I struggled with is I wanted people to like me. I wanted to people think, you know how you kind of get labeled something like, oh, Micah, you're such a good guy and, and you're so helpful. I'm like, oh, I am a good guy, I am helpful. So I became a yes man. I said yes to everything, right? I, I served in the church, I was a captain of the basketball team, I tried to do good in school, I tried to serve, I was working a full-time job, all these different things, and eventually it was just too much and it nearly broke me. God healed me physically, emotionally, and spiritually my senior year in high school. And I would be lying to you to say if I don't struggle with it anymore, because I do. In fact, I was just remembering the other day as I was preparing this, when uh, Pastor Thomas called me into his office. I think it was like about four months after I started working here. And he goes, Mike, I have a question for you. I'm like, okay. It was at the end of the day. And he goes, hey, I would love it if you would preach a message on a Sunday morning. And because I was a, you know, a bit of a people pleaser, I was like, right away. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I can do that. I can do that for sure. And he goes, okay, great. And he starts going over me all these things to prepare and get ready for. And I'm like, okay, great. And I get in my car, I'm driving home. And all of a sudden my hands just like started shaking. I'm like, why in the world did I ever say yes to this, right? Like, why would I ever say, I'm not ready for this. I need to work here at least two or three years before I'm ready to give a message. And even though I had done some things before, I just did not feel ready. So I went home and I prepared. Like, I mean, I prayed. I prayed and I, and I got all my notes ready and I practiced. I was like, okay, I'm feeling good. And I remember that Sunday morning came, I was sitting right over there and worship started. I just got lost in worship, praising like, oh, God's so good. And then that ended. And then the announcements popped on and then the offering teaching. And you could tell, you know, it was coming to an end. I'm sitting there and it's like, you know, it's ending and I'm looking around like, dang, who's going to go up there and give the message? And all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, that's me. Like I, I'm supposed to go up there. And I, I mean, it caught me so off guard. Like I knew it was that Sunday, but I was just not ready. And I walked up these stairs and I literally remembered. So it was like, it, like it was yesterday. I walked up and I was like, I have two options. Either it was like slow motion. You like go to my notes or just head out these stairs right here, walk out that back door and then boom, you know, like I might have to move a couple hundred miles, find a new job. Uh, but, you know, I got about here, I turned back around and said, okay, I just got to do it. And I just got through it. So here's the point of it all, right? Every single one of us struggles with the fear of man at one point or another. Maybe it's been greater in your life at some points and maybe it's less now. Whatever the case may be, we have all struggled with it. And, it, and, it's, and it's hard and it's dangerous. And this is why it's so dangerous is because when we fear man more than we fear God, it changes the object of our affection, Right? 
When, as, as Christ servants, our affection should be on Christ and Christ alone. And when we turn to the side and we start fearing people more than God, our affection moves from God and moves over to man. And it's always a dangerous trap. So I just want to encourage you as we dive into God's word, turn your heart to the Lord and just ask him, is there any area in your life that you struggle to put God first? Is there any area in your life that you are fearing man more than God? So let's just pray and we're gonna invite God's spirit here. Father, we thank you for what you're already doing here. I agree, your spirit is here. And I just wanna recognize that. Thank you for already speaking to us. Right now, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds, every person in this room, everyone watching online, that if there is anything, absolutely anything that is binding these people from experiencing the fullness of life you have created them for, that you would set them free this morning and tear down that wall. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. amen, amen. All right, so I have a lot of things I wanna share with you guys today. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, this is super, super important. Are you ready? The first truth about uh, the fear of man is that the fear of man is a trap. It is a trap, right? And uh, this is what uh, Proverbs 9, verse 10 says. The fear of the Lord, okay, listen, the fear of the Lord, not people, is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord, not people, is the foundation of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Psalms 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord, not people, is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commands will grow in wisdom, praise his name forever. We're going to talk about the fear of the Lord here in a minute, but I I want to get that straight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But this is what Proverbs 29, verse 25 says. This is where I asked you to turn. This is what it says. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. I want you to say that. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting in the Lord means safety. All right, so if you're reading along here, you might have read that verse and it might say, fearing man is a dangerous snare. Trap, snare, it's gonna be the same uh, word there. And that original word, specifically when Solomon wrote it, he's specifically talking about how you trap a bird, like in in a cage or something, right? So I'm gonna ask kind of a funny question. Who here growing up ever tried to trap birds like in your backyard or anything like that, anyone? I'm seeing most of the guys in their hands and some uh, some ladies too. I don't know what it was. I'm, I'm, I'm an outdoorsman, so I think I just love this from childhood, but probably like seven, eight, nine years old, years old. I loved trying to trap squirrels and birds in my backyard. My favorite trap was when I would get this box, okay? You get a big box and you put a string and you prop up the box, right? Or a stick and you prop up the box. Then you tie a string around the stick. Then you go and you hide and you wait in a bush. And I would wait for hours. Like I just didn't care. And when something came by, I would pull the string, knocking over the stick, trapping my prey. Uh, But over the years, I figured out there's a couple things that you can do to make a trap much more effective, right? So first, I realized I had to make the trap look appealing. I couldn't just have a box in the backyard, right? So I would uh, cover up the box. I I would, uh, you know, put grass clippings on top of it, other little sticks and twigs to cover it up so it just looked like a little bush. And so when the birds came, they'd be like, oh, that's just, you know, another bush or whatnot. And and then I would uh, make it appear safe, and I would put uh, bird seed all the way around it, right? I put bird seed and bread, and then I'd chunk a big piece of bread and bird seed far back in the trap. And what would happen, these birds would fly down, and they would eat up at the seed, and then they'd fly away. 
They'd come back and forth, back and forth, but they felt safe because every time they came, nothing happened. Sometimes I'd even just put bird seed out there even when I wasn't trying to trap them just so they got used to coming to a specific area. This is, I know, I'm weird, right? And then I, I would I put it out there and all of a sudden they'd be so comfortable, so good, and eventually they'd eat all that food, they'd feel comfortable, they'd walk into the trap and boom, I got them again. The final thing I realized to make a really effective trap is that I played on the birds and the animals' weaknesses. I knew as soon as it started getting colder and there was less food around, it would be more, a better time to start trapping. So that's when I would do it, like in the fall or winter. And, and here, here's why I, uh, all this is important. When Solomon wrote this proverb, he's writing to a people who understood like trapping birds and such was a way of life. He said, the fear of man is like a snare. It is like a trap. It is a trap that Satan puts in front of us for one reason and one reason only, he wants to take us out. He wants to take us out. And I just wanna speak to the young people. Guys, let's give it up for this youth section over here. Isn't that really cool? We started this. Uh, 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 about a month and a half ago. Guys, it's so much fun to see you like worshiping and really leading. You guys are awesome taking notes. You, oh man, come on now. Anyway, uh, but I wanna speak to you guys for a minute. It really goes for everyone in here, but I know you just started school, whether you're middle school, high school, college, whatever the case may be. And here's the thing, you're gonna go at that school and there's gonna be a way of life that's gonna look appealing to you. Right? You're gonna see the most popular kids in school and they're gonna go off to the parties and they're gonna go do this and they're gonna do that and you're gonna go, man, that looks so much fun. That looks so good. I mean, I really wanna try that. And, and, and you're like, okay, yeah, maybe I'll try it. And, and he, Satan is so good, he even makes it appear safe. You go off and go to the one party you tried drugs one time and you go, look, like, I'm not addicted. This isn't too bad. Like, it, well, my parents said I'd go off one time and look, I'm gonna be, I ruin my life forever. He makes it appear safe. You do it a few times, but I'm telling you, it is a dangerous trap. And he makes it so effective because he plays on people's weaknesses. I never cared about what I wore and I I know that's a big deal, what kind of shoes people wear, that stuff, but I really cared about how people thought about me. And it led to me into a trap. So I just wanna encourage you, as you guys are going through this, recognize that the fear of man is a trap. And Satan is so cunning that he makes it look appealing, he makes it look safe, he'll play on our weaknesses, but man, once you're trapped in there, you're not gonna get out with someone, without someone's help. This is not gonna happen. Paul Chapel says this, the fear of man is the enemy of the fear of the Lord. The fear of man pushes us to perform for man's approval rather than God's directives. Isn't that good? Like the fear of man literally changes the object of our affection. We live for man's approval instead of under God's directives. And, I, and Jesus said, if you wanna be a follower of mine, you have to obey me. You have to do what I command. That's what a true follower is, right? The fear of man flips that on us. It's almost impossible to please God when we are trying to please man. So when we fall into this trap, I really believe it does four things to us, four very specific sins that we can fall into. And here's the first one. The first one is direct disobedience. And I hope you guys understand what I mean by that. Direct disobedience is something that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you are not supposed to do, but we do it anyway, right? Uh, uh, this is what... 1 Samuel 15, 24 says, then Saul admitted to Samuel, and Saul was king of Israel at the time. Samuel was the prophet of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, he said, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. Why? He says, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. If you're familiar with the story, this is what happened. Uh, Samuel goes to Saul and he goes, I want you to destroy this enemy nation. I want you to get rid of everything. I don't want you to take any plunder, nothing at all. 
And so Saul goes, okay, I'll go do it. And him and his army, they go out and they actually conquer this enemy nation. And as they're leaving, he sees his army gathering up all this plunder. And he goes, guys, you can't do that. Like the command was to destroy everything. We can't do this. And this little argument ensued. And all of a sudden Saul became so afraid. He goes, man, what if they don't want me to be their king anymore? What if, what if they don't, obviously they're not respecting me, they're not listening to me, and like, oh man, what, what happens if we keep doing this? Finally he goes, okay, let's keep some of the plunder, but then let's sacrifice some of it to, for the Lord as an offering because he was uh, granted us victory in this battle and everyone goes, yeah, great compromise, let's do that. Who's ever done that before? You know the thing you're supposed to do and then you twist it just enough to get by. You're like, oh, I know God told me to do this, but I, 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 you know, I, if I do this, I'm gonna give him you know, this extra money or I'm gonna give him this extra thing to kind of make up for it. That's what Saul tried to do. And then when Samuel comes to Saul, he's, he's like, what have you done? I told you specifically, you're not supposed to take any plunder for yourself. And Saul tries to justify it. He goes back and forth. And finally, he just says these words. He's like, you're right. I was wrong. I've sinned. I've disobeyed you and I disobeyed God. And I'm telling you, it is a trap. We cannot fall into the fear of man and do what they demand because we're afraid of losing our power or position or anything of that nature. And here's the deal. This was the first step. This was the first step in Saul losing the kingdom over to David. You guys know that, right? From that point on, Samuel says, because you can't fear God more than you fear man, the kingdom is going to be torn away from you. It's going to give to someone more worthy than you. And then the next few chapters later, he goes and anoints David as a boy, right? And because of Saul's disobedience, he loses his power, he loses his position, and ultimately he loses God's presence over his life. Do not follow that trap. Do not follow that line of reasoning. It is always going to hurt you. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says this, for we speak as messengers approved by God. He is, uh, I'm sorry, approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. This is what leads us to our second sin here, which is this. The fear of man leads us to becoming a people pleaser. Who's ever struggled with that one before, right? I, I, I personally don't like to call myself a people pleaser. I'm more of a peacemaker. That's what I like to call myself, right? And I believe it's actually a gift from God because I'm a middle child. I'm also a middle brother. And so I have an older brother and a younger brother. So I sit here in the middle and I always just try to make the siblings happy. My goal was always to make my mom specifically because she was at home with us happy. And so I'd always play the peacemaker, but I believe that's actually a gift from the Lord. Jesus even said... Blessed are the peacemakers, right? But who knows the gift that God tries to give us, Satan often tries to distort. So instead of becoming a peacemaker, oftentimes I can fall into the trap of being a people pleaser and I want everyone to be happy. But this is what 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says. It says, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. All right, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to look him in the eye. Okay, turn to your neighbor right now, look him in the eye, find someone next to you, and say, your purpose is to please God, not people. All right, now I want you to turn to your other neighbor, your second choice, your least favorite. And I want you to say, your purpose is to please God, not people. Okay, and if that was hard for you, I'm just tearing down the walls of fear man over your life. That's all, okay, right? 
I'm telling you, you, our purpose is not to please man. It is, pleased, it is to please God. Paul says it this way in Galatians 1.10. It says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. He's like, obviously, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. Uh, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And look, I'm not gonna to try to change the scriptures or anything, but I think Paul could have easily have written, uh, you know, people pleasing were my goal, I couldn't be a follower of Christ. I, I couldn't because there's just no way at the very core of Christianity is this idea of like, man, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. I'm not gonna look to the right or to the left. I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what people say to my face. I don't care what they say behind my back because I am fixing my eyes on Jesus, right? That's the whole idea. And here's the fundamental truth about being, if you fall into the trap of being a people pleaser. You guys wanna know what it is? You probably already know. You can't please everyone. <laughs> Literally, you try to please everyone, what happens? You end up pleasing no one. And, and, and that's probably one of the worst places to be in. And if you're a parent in here and you have more than one kid, you know this to be true. Uh, we'll be driving down the road. I'm like, hey, kids, you want a slushie? And three, uh, we have four kids, and three kids go, yeah, slushies. One kid goes, I want ice cream. And you're like, okay, hey, let's go get ice cream. Three kids go, ice cream! And one kid goes, I don't want that, I want a blizzard. And I'm like, well, I'm not gonna get you no blizzard. We're gonna get ice cream, okay? And, and you know, you go back and forth and then what happens? One kid's crying, three kids are like, mm, this is the best day ever. And, and like, you just cannot please everyone. And when you do, it ends up just ruining the whole day. Sometimes at the end of the day, my wife and I look at each other, you're just like, you're as tired as I am? Like, oh yeah, right? Because all you were doing is trying to make everyone happy. It's like, it is a trap. And some of it's well-meaning, some of it's good, but I'm telling you, when you do that, it will always lead to you being trapped by the fear of man. Here's another one. This is really interesting. Another sin we can fall into is showing favoritism and partiality in our justice and perverting justice. This is what Deuteronomy 1.17 says. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both great and small alike. Do not be afraid of anyone, for, for judgment belongs to God. Think of what this is saying. It's like, don't show favoritism to people. Don't show extra favoritism because someone's great and don't look down at them because they are small. It just doesn't matter. Just because someone has power or just because someone has money or something like that, we can't show them or treat them any different. Don't be afraid of people. Deuteronomy 1.7, oh, I'm sorry, Exodus 23.2 says, you must, not, you must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. You must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you are called to testify in a dispute, don't be swayed by the crowd to twist justice. AKA what he's saying here is like, don't fall into peer pressure. Don't fall into peer pressure, guys, please. And, and it's, this is not just for youth, it's for me, it's for every single person in here, we can all do it. Uh, but I, I, and especially in our culture, it's just so interesting that we care so much about what other people think, right? And I think like we have these sports figures or maybe a media personality and, and they make a comment about politics or they make a comment about religion and all of a sudden we just care so much. Like, really, you, you don't agree with what this person said? I'm like, who is this person? They, they throw a football. Why should I care what they believe in? Or like, who is this person? They live their, make their living lying on a TV show pretending to be a doctor when they're not really a doctor or whatever the case may be. Like, why would I care? Why would I show special favoritism to, to someone just because they have money or influence. This is what they're saying here. Don't be afraid of people. Listen, why would we live for the approval of man today when we could live in the approval of God for eternity? You guys following that? Like, why would we fall into that trap? Why would we care so much about this? This life is a vapor. It's gonna be here and gone tomorrow. 
but we're gonna get to live with God for eternity. How can we not fear him more than we fear man? The fourth and final, and, and probably the most dangerous trap we can fall into is even the denial of Christ himself. And, and we can read about this in John chapter 18 where uh, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. But you know, if you skip back to verse 17, you can read uh, just what we celebrated this morning, the Passover meal, communion, and Jesus is sitting with his best friends, his best friends on earth, and he goes, guys, tonight all of you are gonna desert me. And they're just like having a meal together, right? Could you imagine King Buffet and someone's like, Gary, you're gonna desert me. Like, you're not even gonna recognize me anymore. And everyone's like, no, no. And then finally Peter stands up and he goes, no, even if I have to die for you, Jesus, I will never leave you, I'll never desert you. And Jesus goes, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're gonna die, deny that you even know me three times. And you guys know the story. Jesus gets arrested, all of his friends, all of his disciples flee, but Peter kind of follows along to see where he's taken. And he, he's waiting outside of this courtyard and there's a fire and he starts warming himself. And this lowly little servant girl comes up to him and goes, hey, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And he goes, no, 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 you must be mistaken. I, I'm not, I'm not. And she goes, no, I, I, I could have sworn I saw you when he was teaching the other day. You were standing by him. And he goes, nope. Nope, that wasn't me. And then a crowd starts forming, and we've all been there before. And then multiple people go, no, 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 you have to be one of his followers. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And he goes, a curse on me if I know the man. I don't know him. And then immediately the rooster crows, and the words of Jesus flash before his mind, and he runs off bitterly weeping. Why do we fall into this trap? It, 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 it's so much so like we would say, it, like I know in his hearts of hearts, Peter was like, man, I think he genuinely meant it. He's like, oh, Jesus, I would never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Like I've given up everything to follow you. He really did. Like he'd been traveling and doing all these things. He's like, I'm ready to give up everything for you, Jesus. But Jesus could see deep in his heart and he goes, but there's one thing holding you back. You've built a wall around your life and you care too much what people think about you, Peter. And because of that, you're gonna deny that you even know me. And I want everyone in this room uh, and watching online today to understand that is a dangerous, dangerous trap to find yourself in where all of a sudden you can't even acknowledge Jesus publicly on earth. There's something wrong in our hearts and in our lives. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 32 through 33. It says, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, catch that. He says, whoever acknowledges me publicly not in a worship service when all the lights are low, not when the lights are off and you're in your prayer closet. Those are all good things. He says, those who acknowledge me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. That should be a wake-up call to us, church, right? That should be something we go, wow. Wow, like Jesus is not mincing words here. If we deny him, he's like, I'll just straight up, I'll deny you. It should be the wake-up call for us. This is what John 12, 42 through 43 says. Many people did believe in him, however, and this is speaking of Jesus. Many people did believe in Jesus, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for the fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. Why? For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. I'm telling you, when you live for the approval of man, when you seek God's praise, or man's praise over God's, you're falling into a trap. 
And that's why uh, Solomon uses this specific word. He's like, I am telling you, when you do this, when you fall into this trap, and we all know once that bird gets trapped, there's no way it's getting out alive unless if someone frees that bird, right? But thank God we have someone who can free us from this trap, amen. Thank God, God didn't leave us in that trap. God didn't leave us in our sin. He sent Jesus to die to save you and to save me. So there's one way, if, if any of those things kind of resonated with you, you're like, man, yeah, that's me, I, I'm struggling with that. There's a one-step plan, one-step plan to start uh, freeing yourself from the fear of man. You guys wanna know what it is? You have to fear God more than you fear man. You have to fear God more than you fear man. This is what Oswald Chambers says. He says, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. But when you fear man, you fear everything else. And how true is that? There's been times in my life where I know I am like so in the will of God and even if it's the craziest thing and he tells me to go do the craziest thing, I have like such confidence in it. I'm like, man, and I'm not even afraid to go do it. I'll, I'll, I'll go sell the thing, I'll go buy the thing, I'll go invest in it, I'll do whatever. But it's like, no, because I really believe God's calling me to do this. But the times I start thinking and fearing, oh, well, what are people gonna say if I do that or if I really step out in faith and do this? And all of a sudden, I start fearing everything. It's like this downward sp spiral, right? Like I can't help it. When we fear God, we will fear nothing because if God is for us, who could be against us? But when we fear man, we end up fearing everything. That's why I pointed to Proverbs 9, Proverbs 1, Psalms 111. They all start with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom, right? Only fools despise wisdom and, and discipline. So what are we supposed to do? Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verses four and five. It says this, dear friends, who's God? We're called friends of God, right? I am. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that, but I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yeah, he's the one to fear, all right? Now, you read that and you're kind of like, whoa, that's a little intense, so I'm just gonna say time out real fast because I think people will abuse this scripture sometimes and they'll start preaching the message, uh, turn or burn, or God's gonna smite you with the sword that comes from his mouth, like all this kind of stuff. And here's the deal, we just read that scripture. There's scriptures that say that. But those who are found in Christ Jesus, those who are found in Christ Jesus really have no need to fear, right? Because Jesus took that pain, he took our suffering, he took our shame, he took all of that for us on the cross. But Jesus is saying, fear God, fear God. I'll tell you who to fear, fear God, because he has the power, not just to mess up your life here, it's like he has, your, he has the power to put your, uh, your body into hell. But we can't get caught up on that, okay? So, and, and this is why. We have to realize how Jesus starts that and how he finishes this uh, section of scriptures. He starts by saying, dear friends. And like you, I said earlier, I'm glad I'm a friend of God. But do you know even more than a friend, you are a son? You are a daughter of the most high king. Not only is he your king, he is your father. Not only is he your father, he is your good father. He only wants what's best for you. So he's not some guy in the sky who just is waiting for you to mess up so he can do something to you. He is, he, he's good and being good is just not what he does, it's who he is. It's, it's, he, he can't be contrary to his nature, the Bible says. He's slow in anger, full of compassion, full of mercy, and he gives it to us again and again. So every time I wanna 
talk about the fear of the Lord. And this is a big concept. I mean, this could be a whole nother sermon series that talks about the fear of the Lord. But I just want to highlight this. We can't be, oh, Jesus, like, oh, God, he's just so terrible. I, I can't even think about him. We have to look at this lens that even though he's the creator of the universe, he has all power, all authority, all of that, he's still good He's still our father, and he loves us dearly. That's why he sent Jesus. And if we keep reading, this is so interesting. We keep reading. This is what verses 6 and 7 says of Luke chapter 12. He says, what is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them, and the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Isn't that interesting? Verse 5 says, yeah, you need to fear God. Fear God because he's the one person that can throw your body into hell. And then in verse 7, he says, so don't be afraid. Because you're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. And what's a one sparrow worth? A few pennies? You guys catch that? So what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to fear God or are we not supposed to be afraid? The answer is Yes. We have to learn how to fear God, but we have to know, man, we are so valuable. You are so valuable to God. You're so valuable. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a destiny for your life. And when we live in this fear and we're trapped by this fear, we build this wall and we never get to experience what God really has created us to experience and enjoy. A dream, a destiny, a business, a family, a marriage, whatever the case may be, we don't do it because we get bound up in fear. And honestly, I think the best way I can explain the fear of the Lord is uh, through the C.S. Lewis novels, The Chronicles of Narnia. If you've ever read it before, there's uh, these, these kids, and they're going to meet this guy named Aslan. And Aslan in the story is this character who represents God, Jesus. He's the God figure. And uh, there's this character called Mr. Beaver. And Mr. Beaver is telling him about Aslan, and he's like, hey, he's, he's good, and, he, and he's going to take care. He's going to help us defeat the enemy, and I'm going to take you to him right now. One thing you need to know, he's a lion. And the kids go, A lion? Well, why are you taking us to see a lion? Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver goes, of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good. He's good. Of course God isn't safe. There's nothing safe about Christianity. He's telling you to pick up your cross and follow him, that in life trials are going to come. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be safe. God didn't call us to a place of safety. But God is good. He is going to lead you. He's going to lead me. But we have to trust in him. And in those stories, uh, there's multiple books. And the safest those kids ever feel are when they are in the, when they are in the presence of that lion. They said, I, I, literally, when they're with Aslan, they fear nothing. They fear nothing. Why? Because they're with the creator, the one who has all power, all authority, all wisdom. That is the fear of the Lord wrapped up in a nutshell. And if when we start fearing God more than man, it breaks the yoke of heaviness on us and it makes a difference. This is what 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6 says. And I'll invite the worship team to come out. It says, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to God to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Does that sound like an evil, angry king? Come on, I need an answer. Does that sound like an evil, angry king? 
No, he gave himself as a ransom for all people. He's a good, he's a loving, he's a caring God. So why are we so caught up in the fear of man? Why are we so afraid? Deuteronomy 31, 6 says this, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. That's the people of the land. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither, neither fail you nor abandon you. I want you guys to stand to your feet this morning. And I want to take a moment for us to just turn our hearts to God and really ask the Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? Like, I'm just going to ask this. Bow your head, close your eyes, and specifically ask God, God, where have I put man above you? Where have I feared man above you? He could show you a specific situation. He might show you a person. He might give you a memory. But where are you putting man first above God? Is it your finances? Is it your marriage? Is it in your friendships? Hebrews 13, 6 tells us, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Ask God, reveal it. Where are you putting man before God? And as you're thinking about this, I want to share one final story I was reminded of this week. And it was, it's about this uh, young daughter and her dad. And they, and they just had an unbelievable relationship together because, I mean, this was an amazing dad. He really, really loved her. I have three girls, so I can get this. Like, he, he cherished her, took care of her, lavished her with love, did all the things a good dad should do. There was only one problem with the relationship, though. You see, he was severely scarred in a, an accident, in a fire. And so he had uh, scars on his face and on his neck, and his whole arms were covered. And when the daughter was little, it wasn't that big of a deal. He, she just was like, hey, this is my dad. But of course, the older she got and the more she started hanging out with friends, you know, her friends started noticing and started teasing her dad and started teasing her about it. Like, why does your dad look like that? That's so weird. You're so weird. Uh, you know, wh why? And, you know, at first she could handle it, but eventually it just became so hard. She just really didn't want her dad to drop her off at school anymore. And it became so hard. She just really didn't invite friends anymore over to their house because she was embarrassed by her dad. And that went on for a while until finally one night, her mom came into the room and said, uh, sweetie, we need to have a talk. And she goes, okay. And she kind of sat up in bed and she goes, honey, have, I, have we ever told you how your dad got those scars on his body? She kind of stiffened up and said, no, mom, you, you, you've never told me that story. She said, well, you see, a number of years ago when you were just a baby, our house caught on fire. And your dad rescued all of your brothers and sisters and got them to safety. Then he came and got me, and then he came and got you because you were just a baby. You were stuck in a crib, and facing the flames, facing the fire, he wrapped you in his shirt, covered you in his arms, and he took the full brunt of that fire so you could walk off unharmed, unhurt, so you could have life. Your father did that for you. And we can hear that story, and we can think, man, what a terrible daughter. <laughs> How could she treat him that way? But Jesus says, I still have the scars for you. Look at my side, look at my hands. I did this for you. And every time we put the fear of man over God, I guarantee he just rubs those scars. He goes, I paid so much more for you than that. 
I want you to walk in freedom. I, want to, I don't want you to live in that trap anymore. I've, I purchased this freedom for you. I paid the price so you wouldn't have to die the death I did die for you. So today, if there's anyone in this room, anyone at all, that God highlighted something, something you just know, I need to give over to God, would you just raise your hand and we're just gonna commit it over to God. We're gonna pray here in a minute. Is there anyone who is suffering from the fear of man in any form or capacity? Come on, lots of hands in the room. Again, if it's hard, this is something I wanted to say. If it's hard to do it in here, guys, it's gonna be really hard to do it out there. So you can say, oh, I don't struggle with the fear of man, I do this, but all of a sudden you're like even thinking about raising your hand, like, ooh, what are, we, what are people gonna say about me? We're all here for the same reason, <laughs> because we know we're messed up. I certainly wouldn't be here, I certainly wouldn't be giving a message or being a pastor if I knew I could do this on my own. I know I need Jesus. So all we're doing is raising our hand, we're saying, I am a sinner, I'm messed up, and I fear man more than I fear creator of the universe who loves me and he cherishes me. So if that's you, I, uh, you can lower your hand. We're just going to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray for you. And I just want you to accept it. Father, I just thank you for every person who had the faith to raise their hand today. That you would highlight exactly what you highlighted in their heart. That you would bring it to their heart one more time and that you would break it right now in Jesus' name. That they would not build that wall around their life any longer. They would not be bound by this fear. They would not care what the world would say about them. They would not care what people would say about them, God. They would trust in you and that you would allow them to walk in the destiny that you created for them. That you would not keep them allowed to be stuck in this walled city and not get to enjoy the green pastures that you have specifically prepared for them and want to lead them to. Bless these people. Break off this heavy yoke. Break off this addiction of uh, comparison. Break off the addiction of people pleasing. May we take on your burdens and your yoke because we know they are light and easy. Bless them now in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Can we praise God for what he did in those hearts and lives today? God is really doing something. And finally, we never want to end a service here at Rev City without giving someone the opportunity to come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And maybe that's here, uh, and maybe you're here today watching online, and you just feel God tugging at your heart. You feel it. You just know that you know, like, man, this is it. This is my time. I, I need to experience what this guy's all talking about, which is this life of freedom, this life of happiness, this life of joy. And maybe you feel far from God. You feel like a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. You've made the mistakes again where we've all been there. We've all done it, but that is why we're here. But if you wanna make a dedication to follow Christ for the first time or maybe a rededication, I'd love for you to be bold and raise your hand right now. Just stick it right up right now. Just proud, you're not ashamed. God's done so much for you. God's done so much for you. He sent his son to die for you. He's provided a way for you. Imagine what, how that daughter would have felt when she finally realized the price that her father paid. When I finally realized the price my heavenly father paid for me, and I don't even think I fully realize it now, but I was specifically I remember it was when I had my own kids. And all of a sudden I realized, God gave his son for me. God gave his son for me. And I love my kids that much and he gave his son for me. Don't miss this opportunity. Know that he has given so much for you. 
you can lower your hands and we're just gonna pray this prayer and we pray it together for a couple of reasons. One, we do it because we wanna support every single person who raised their hand. We're saying, we are right here. You're my brother, you're my sister. We love you, we wanna support you. Second reason why we do it is because we wanna remind ourselves we don't graduate from grace. I might walk right out of here and I'll be afraid to pray for the waitress that's what serves me or whatever, but I'm gonna pray that I have the boldness to stand for Christ, stand for Jesus and acknowledge him publicly here on earth, right? So as we pray this prayer together, would you just repeat it, whether you raise your hand or not, just repeat after me, say, Father, thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay, that you made a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you my life and I give you my trust. And because of the blood of Jesus, I will never be the same. Come on, let's praise God one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Worship team, would you lead us? Guys, I truly believe the best is yet to come. Let's worship one more time here.